Not really my cup of tea, said my agent. Well, Donna, I think it's going to be a global phenomenon, I said. It was 2009, and the script under discussion was Downton Abbey. I didn't in fact predict the show's worldwide success, but we're only a few lines in here and I want you to think I'm smart. Nine years and 52 episodes later, we were about to do the read-through for the first Downton Abbey film. A memo came through from the publicity team saying that Focus Features, the financiers of the movie, had come up with a shiny idea with which to tease our audience. As we assembled on a soundstage at Twickenham Studios, a film crew would capture us clasping each other as we reunited after three years apart. Moments of coffee drinking and satsuma peeling would be caught on camera for posterity, as the returning heroes prepared for another foray into the world of the British aristocracy between the wars, the show that its creators had first pitched as Merchant Ivory Meets the West Wing. Then, during the read-through itself, a super-cool 360-degree camera would record the experience in a digitally shimmering way, and there would be a photographer snapping it for all eternity. A knot tightened in my stomach. Read-throughs in any genre of entertainment are awkward at the best of times. For the writer or writers, it's like giving birth on the centre spot of a football pitch in front of a capacity crowd. For everyone else, it's first day at big school. Because of the number of personnel involved, it usually takes place in an anonymous hall, deconsecrated church, or, if at a British film studio, in an airless condemned soundstage with what looks worryingly like asbestos billowing out of the chicken wire walls. On a table in one corner next to the scalding or freezing urn is a tower of styrofoam cups, tea bags, coffee, granulated if it's theatre, cafetiere if it's TV, barista, chain or possibly in-house if it's a movie, a smattering of fruit and biscuits and a stack of croissants that no one dares touch because you're on a diet, obviously. Now that you've got a job, you're no longer prone to stuffing your face with the unfairness of it all. If you're lucky, you'll know a couple of people from other jobs. And if so, you cling to each other like shipwreck survivors, reliving the horrors of Harrogate 88 or Peak Practice 09, some real car crashes of productions, some invented, but worth amplifying anyway in these nerve-shredding circumstances. Over there is a producer, in a daze because he or she never thought they'd actually get to this point without either having a nervous breakdown or being fired by the money people. Nearby is the director, either quivering because they finally agree that the schedule is unshootable or worryingly relaxed, beta blockers, for the same reason, knowing they too may be relieved of their duties before long or may just walk. If you're a guest artist on a series, then, however welcoming the principles might be, you are by definition an outsider. As everyone else mingles and brays and says, see you in a bit, like they're at a glittering cocktail party that's never going to end, you hang around the edges of the room, gradually deconstructing your styrofoam cup until it resembles a piece of failed origami with a brown drip. Alternatively, you sit in your allocated spot at the trestle table, which has a place card on it with your real name misspelled, and beneath it in brackets your character, An Outsider, Episode 2. You want the floor to open up and put you out of your misery, preferably plunging the cliquey overpaid stars to their deaths as well, along with their hilarious in-joke rap-gift mugs from last season, with the special herbal drink in it that some runner had to get them from the production office because that's what they're meant to do, and Christ how they hate it, but as Dad said, everyone has to start somewhere, Tiger. 
I guess whoever had the task of telling Maggie Smith about the bright, shiny marketing idea of filming up our nostrils throughout this emotionally complex rendezvous had been met with a brief and final, oh, I don't think so, because there were, thank God, no 360-degree cameras in evidence as we assembled for the day. The reunion. Our hugs and smiles went unrecorded. It was three years since we'd last been together in the same room, but I can tell you that the bond of those six seasons working with largely the same group of people was tangible, in a good way. As we started to read, I looked round the huge square of tables, catching Leslie's eye, now Brendan's, Mrs Patmore, Mr Bates, a shared smile and a shake of the head, almost of disbelief. Who would have thought it? And then Liz Truebridge, one of our executive producers, the one closest to the cast and its welfare from day one, who had been going to leave after the second season to pursue other projects, but had said to me one day, I can't leave, this show's in my blood now. I suppose that's how we all felt as the series continued to roll out around the world.